Hey, what's going on? Welcome to The Doug Show. My name is Doug Cunnington, and in this episode, I'm going to talk about what you should look out for when you buy a site. So we'll go through maybe some places that you can buy a site, a few steps that you potentially should go through, different things you should verify. And I had to do a little research on this. Technically, I haven't purchased very many sites, only like less than five, I would say. So there are a lot of people that have way more experience than me. However, I did get a great question in. Uh, I think it was over on the YouTube side, but someone asked specifically about red flags when you're looking at a site. So I did a little bit of research. This is uh, relatively rare for me. Most of the time I have kind of a handle on the basics and typically that's good enough. I mean, you, you guys are here for the witty commentary and my monologues more than anything else. There's there's some knowledge in there too. But I did some research on this and just wanted to organize a few things to make sure I covered the broad points. And there's a couple other things I'll, I'll talk about today. One, revisiting a topic from Way back in the past, I I can't believe this is episode, what I have labeled here as 345, but there was uh, a little time where I was getting all these pitches for people to be on the show, and I did see someone out there with their own podcast, and they were... They were basically taking payments, which is you know common for certain industries. They were taking payments to have guests on the show, and that's how they monetize their show. And I'll give you a little update on that. Additionally, if you are listening to this episode close to the date which it was published, which should be around April 14th, 2022, my course, Multi-Profit Site is coming out next week. It's opening for enrollment. It's typically closed. I like to open and close enrollment for a couple reasons. One, it's just easier for me to manage cohorts of students that start the course and support them as they're getting going. Additionally, from a marketing standpoint, that introduces scarcity, which I've recorded a few episodes on selling my courses and digital products in general. But scarcity is a big deal. There's a book called Influence by Robert Cialdini, which is excellent. If you haven't read it, it's super interesting just in general. And it gives you a lot of different marketing mechanisms. And from the other side, right, as a non-marketer, as a consumer, it gives you tools to recognize when you're being marketed to and how you could effectively deal with those. I'll go on a slight tangent here. I was home alone while Georgie was with me, but I was, I was home alone and uh, I think I was about to make dinner or I was drinking a beer. I was doing something relaxing and then someone rang the doorbell. Georgie started barking, going crazy. And then I was like, ah, is someone actually at the door? Are they dropping off a package? And I was like, ah, oh, fuck, I don't want to go over there and talk to them. Anyway, someone was at the door and I thought maybe it's one of my neighbors, but it wasn't. It wasn't a neighbor. It was a door-to-door salesman selling solar panels. While I was trying to keep Georgie in and she was trying to poke her, her nose out the door, I, I was like, ah, oh, man, this sucks. The guy says, oh, well, I'm working with a few of your neighbors on solar panels and let me uh, ask you about your interest. And he was starting his spiel. I interrupted and I was like, are you selling something? He was like, yeah, we're selling solar panels or something to that effect. 
And then I was like, well, I'm, I'm not interested. And this is one of the, the tips from the book. So he immediately knew that he was about to like lose the sale. I was telling him to you know get the fuck off my porch, basically. And he said, well, why aren't you interested? And I said, I don't know. I'm just not interested right now. So that is one of the pieces from Influence. And basically, that gentleman, you know, people were making making their money. I should put a no solicitation sign on the door. I wasn't in the mood to chat or anything. And I don't want solar panels here, basically. So this guy was asking what my objections were. And what he was trying to do is for me to list out one or two of my objections. And then he was going to knock those down and tell me why those objections were not valid. So I shut it down by not giving him any reason. And I just said, I'm just not interested. Like there's, you can't logic me into being interested in the solar panels right now. I have nothing against solar panels, by the way. I think when you have them installed, I think the math to actually pay for them is pretty rough. If you install them yourself, uh, my friend Carl put solar panels, the whole panel, he was on his roof, like attaching the solar panels and all that stuff. And I think he'll he'll have a, a much better payback period to actually earn back the money. Electricity is fairly cheap in our town. So anyway, this dude was just doing his job. God bless him for, you know, going out there door to door, fucking selling solar panels and, and all that stuff. But anyway, influence Robert Cialdini, great book. Okay. Before we get into the meat of this episode, want to give a shout out to Ezoic. They sponsor these podcasts and I appreciate it. I've been working with them for a few years now. You can get started with Ezoic with no page view minimums. They have a lot of great tools that you can use right when you're starting out. So definitely check it out. There's a link in the description, the show notes here, so you can hop over. They also have a tool called Leap, which helps your site load faster and get green and core web vitals. The other sponsor for the show today is Niche Website Builders, and I'm working with them very closely right now on a four-month project. I think we're about a month and some change in. They're publishing about 200,000 words of content, about 200 posts or so. I think it's a little bit short of that. It'll end up being like... 180 posts or something, but it's adding quite a bit more content to the, to my site. It is a site that's been around for about a year and a half. It has some great momentum. I'm very excited to see where this is going. You can follow along both on the niche website builders blog, where I'm publishing monthly updates. I'm also recording a few episodes um, as we go on the podcast and you could tune in over on YouTube as well. I'm covering little, a little bit different pieces of content each time I publish so that it's a little bit different and you know the right format has the most relevant information. So of course on YouTube there'll perhaps will be a little bit more screen sharing and maybe I'll talk about some of the approach. Um, so certainly check it out and thanks to niche website builders. They are you know pumping out the content really fast and I just published I think something like 47 articles all in one day. So I'm going to talk about that sometime soon over on the YouTube side. Okay, let's get started now. There's a few places that you can buy a website. I'm going to list the the main ones that I came up with off the top of my head. So there's Flippa. 
And I think if you go back to maybe some of my very early episodes, I didn't have too many positive things to say about Flippa. I think there's a lot of noise out there. There's a lot of um, garbage still, but I think they've stepped up their game. I've never talked to any of the owners or uh, people that run it or the C-suite or anything like that, but it seems like they're doing a better job than they were. And they're trying to like make their uh, business a little bit more, I don't know if, if I want to say professional, but as the industry is maturing, Flippa is also maturing. I've run into a lot of people, a lot of my friends that do purchase websites and they will scope out Flippa so they could find good deals, the diamonds and the rough. There are plenty of sites that probably, you know, are not, are not going to be good for most people, but there's a lot more, there's a lot more um, sort of frequency, I guess. Uh, there's a big throughput of websites over there. So that's one place. Empire Flippers, that's a company I've had the most interaction with. I followed them from the very beginning. I can't remember if uh, Justin or Joe were on Smart Passive Income back in the day or if they were on Niche Pursuits, but they were very early on. I I was um, just obsessed with their show and really interested in what they were doing for a long time. And they have multiple shows on their network now, and their business has matured more and more over time. Another big one out there is FE International. I've never dealt with them uh, specifically, but they've been around for a pretty long time too, probably about the same as Empire Flippers. Another one, sort of a newer one on the block, is Motion Invest, and they've been around for a couple of years. I think that is John Havers and... Spencer Hawes, I'm not sure who all is involved, but uh, I think both of those guys were in the past or they currently still are. But that is a good place for kind of the the medium range, I would say, because we have Empire Flippers and I think they just raised their, their minimum earnings and the minimum pricing. Uh, there's a certain amount of work whenever you sell a site. And as Empire Flippers has matured, they are selling, you know, more expensive sites and they may as well, if it takes them, you know, X number of hours to sell a site for 20,000 versus 50,000, but they get paid a percentage, then they're going to go for the more expensive site. So I think they're starting to move up the food chain again, which is very cool. But Motion Invest kind of sits uh, below that. So they're more economic. They are sometimes, you know, younger sites, but typically they're going to be a little bit cheaper. So I would say, you know, whatever price range you're looking for, you can go to um, maybe Empire Flippers or Motion Invest, depending on how much budget you have. Of course, Flippa has a, a very wide range, super cheap sites, uh, very expensive sites, and there's a lot, of, a lot of eyes out there. The other place would be private sales. A lot of times those are going to happen via Facebook groups. There's a lot of website flipping Facebook groups and people will hop in there and just let you know what they're what they're selling. Or if you're looking, you could probably post and say, hey, I'm looking for a site in this price range and other criteria that you're looking for. Now that said, there are many other brokers. Those are you know just a few that I happen to know of because it's in my circle of community or friends or whatever. And I just happen to know about those, but there's a lot of other brokers as well. And there's individual 
sort of brokers that don't necessarily have like a marketplace, but they will go out and help you find deals or they may contact you if you have a site asking you if you're willing to sell. So those are a few places to buy a site. If you are buying from one of the brokers like Empire Flippers, Motion Invest, FE International, they will have some due diligence that they always do. And that is, you know, part of the advantage of having like a a, tr- a true broker and more of a marketplace. They don't want garbage in there. So they're checking, they're verifying the traffic, they're verifying earnings, some other due diligence. And that sort of takes a little bit of the pressure off. Even if they do that for you, there's still some value in going through it yourself. If you identify some areas that look a little funny, or maybe you'll see some gaps, you can use that as a negotiating chip when you're looking to purchase the site. And you know, to the original uh, person who asked the question about red flags, if you go through the analysis, you will potentially see you know a red flag. Now, best case scenario, if you are working with one of the brokers they will find the red flag and the site will never be listed in their marketplace. On somewhere like Flippa, I don't think there is as much due diligence. There are some you know, pieces of information that should be included, but if it's, uh, say, a screenshot of earnings or traffic or something like that, those could be doctored, those could be faked, which will, will come to a thing you can do to get around that. But a few things that you should check out just for uh, due diligence sake and checking sake, even if you are working with a broker, it's worth it to have a look at a couple things. One is the domain history. So you could look it up on like Whois or one of the other uh, sites that has some of the domain history. A lot of times you are going to see the site with uh, sort of privacy information, which I think they just have like the generic Uh, hosting company information and you can see when the site was and the domain was purchased and sometimes when it changes hands and stuff like that. So you'll just want to make sure nothing looks funny in there, which, you know, you just have to take a look. And if there's anything unusual, well, you can ask about it. And if you heard a snap, I had to plug in my uh, Apple Watch. It was, it was getting sleepy there. It was getting tired. The battery's almost dead. So anyway, you can check out the domain history. Another thing that's worthwhile is hopping over to the Wayback Machine and just see what was on the site over the years. Now, you might see some weird uh, like malware or something that shows up. This would be unusual, but if the site was hacked in some way, you might see... Uh, a screenshot or a capture on the Wayback Machine from years ago, and that could be a red flag. Now, it could have been dealt with, but you can ask about it. Now, it might have been from before the person, the owner, the current owner, purchased it. So there's Georgie going crazy. The whole podcast is falling apart at this point. We're just, we're just going to push on. But the point is, over on the Wayback Machine, you can see if anything weird happened. You can also see how the site has matured over time, if they made major updates, if things sort of stayed the same. And that's that's fine. It's just good for historical information. 
but it may give you some ideas about things to ask about. And eventually, what we're going to come to after you go through and check a handful of these things is you potentially will have a call with the owner of the site. So you can ask these questions. And again, we'll we'll go through some of the things you could talk about during such a call. But that's why you're looking through and you're kind of just putting together an idea in your mind of the site and different questions that you might have. You should also have a look at the backlink profile and other pieces of information that you can get from the search engine marketing tools like Ahrefs, SEMrush, Ubersuggest, whatever. There's a bunch of them out there. So you can have a link, you can have a look at the backlink profile and understand are these links pretty high quality? Does it look like they are terrible? Does it look like they purchased a weird link building package from Fiverr and the sites are gibberish and don't make sense? Does it look like they did a guest posting campaign where they got really relevant links and they are fantastic and they're in the right industry? Or do they have a bunch of random links from weird news sites that are clearly like a content farm? So it doesn't it doesn't necessarily mean it's a deal breaker if you do see some lower quality links. One thing that happens over time is a website will just accumulate low quality links. I've mentioned this in podcasts before, but there's some sort of spamming mechanism out there. And I don't know who is doing this or why or what it does, but you'll end up with links to your site from like foreign, uh, like, yeah, basically foreign, whatever. It's a different language language than whatever your site is in. So you'll end up with weird links, links on sites that don't make sense, links that seem to be from sites that are purely automated, no original content on there. And it just happens. You, of course, don't want to have like a huge, massive number of those links. But if you do see some, it's not the worst thing in the world. It does happen to normal websites all the time, but it's worth it to have a look. If you do see a bunch of backlinks with something like the exact match anchor text for keywords that the site is clearly targeting, and you see like a huge number of those kinds of links, that could be a little bit suspect if those links are not on like good legitimate sites. Now, sometimes you will end up with a handful of exact match anchor text for the keyword that you're targeting if it happens to be the most obvious anchor text. Sometimes the most obvious anchor text is what the title of the article is. It's also very common for you to title your article with the exact keyword that you're trying to rank. So it could happen And if you go and analyze those specific links, you could kind of make a judgment call whether you think those were natural links or if it was an intentional campaign. Again, it's not a deal breaker. It could just mean they went out and built a bunch of backlinks. Maybe they did a guest posting campaign and they were able to land these guest posts and put in the exact match anchor text that they wanted. They could also be 100% natural backlinks that happen to have the anchor text that they were aiming for. So check out the backlinks. Now let's get into some of the analytics you should check out. 
once you are, you know, looking at a site, you should get read-only access to Google Analytics and to the Google Search Console. That'll give you an opportunity to poke around and look at some of the historical data. And of course, at that point, it's much harder to fake. So previously, you may have seen some screenshots of the analytics or the search console data. But if you have read-only access and you're able to view it, you can run your own reports. You can, you can compare data from the last three months to the previous three months or a similar three months two years ago or whatever. So you could really take a look and that's much harder to fake the traffic on. In fact, I'm not even sure if it's possible to do in a practical way on the search console, but developers are really smart. So maybe there's a way to fake the bot traffic and, and make it show up as clicks and that sort of thing. But if you have that read-only access, you should be in good shape. Further, let's talk about the revenue. So another important area is verifying the revenue. You probably at this point, you know, you've gone through, you've looked at the analytics data, you've looked at the search console, you should set up a call so that you can ask questions about anything that you see as unusual, anything that you're just curious about. And you can hopefully do a screen share with the owner where they can go through and show you the actual reports where they're earning revenue. So if it's on Amazon or Ezoic or some other place, they can hop into their dashboard and you can see on your live screen exactly what's going on. You could ask them to click around. Hey, show me the last year. Can you compare the last year to the previous year of data and that sort of thing? Again, at that point, it's pretty much impossible to fake. They they shouldn't be able to, to fake that. It's live. It's video. You're telling them to do specific things, so they can't really, they can't doctor it. They can't do anything ahead of time to make uh, this this data, uh, or, or may, they can't do it. They can't fake that data. It's just a video of of them sharing their screen and looking at their revenue. So one one thing you should always ask is why they're selling. They could have a a very specific reason. It can be sort of vague, but you can get an idea what's going on. And there's no right or wrong answer, but you kind of hear their reasoning and hopefully they have some valid reason for you. And it could be, hey, I'm bored with this project and I want to work on something else. And this will help me pay for my next project. That'll probably be a very common answer and completely valid. But while you're talking to them and asking the questions, hopefully that you compiled in the past, uh, you know, week or so when you were doing your due diligence here, you'll understand if you get a good vibe from the person. Do you trust them? Does it sound like they're full of shit? Are they kind of shady or they're not answering your question? Are you are you asking questions and then they're answering something different over and over again and they're just not helping you out? If that's the situation, well, that's a bad sign. You're getting a bad vibe from that person and maybe you don't want to deal with them. Even if everything checks out, if they're if they're a flake, you can move on. There's a ton of other websites out there. So you could just understand if it's someone that you want to deal with or not. 
I'm gonna jump back a little bit. I forgot to emphasize a couple couple things. One of them is when you're analyzing the backlinks and maybe you find some private blog network links, PBN links. Those are potentially not as common as they used to be and it depends on where you're buying the site from, but those are potentially riskier links. So they might be helping the site rank and they may be critical. However, it potentially is a little bit risky. Now, it's a whole other conversation on identifying private blog network links, PBN links, but basically you could kind of think of it as somewhat of a, a uh, just a private network that is completely there for link building purposes. Now, typically, even if we call them private blog network links, a lot of times those were probably purchased from a public individual, an agency, and they're just selling links on their website. Nowadays, it's a little bit harder to tell a PBN link from a real backlink or even a content farm type backlink. The The biggest tell is if you look at the website from which the link is coming from, and they just have a lot of sort of crappy backlinks and crappy articles that are pointing to sites that are clearly uh, affiliate kind of websites, and it just doesn't look as authentic. So again, kind of beyond the scope of what we're covering today, PBN links aren't necessarily a deal breaker, but just be aware that it could be a little riskier. And if you are working with a broker, you can ask them what they think of the backlinks, what they think if PBN links were used specifically. Sometimes the companies will say, yeah, private blog network links were used on this site, and here's the details about them. Keep in mind that if you ask a broker what they think, (laughs) well, they don't want you to have a bad experience. And I'm not sponsored by any of the companies that I mentioned, by the way. But it's like a used car salesman, right? If you ask... (laughs) If you ask them what they think, they're like, ah, fuck, it's probably pretty good. Just go for it, whatever. So they're they're salespeople. Or if you ask the barber if you need a haircut, they're going to say, yeah, of course you need a haircut. Meanwhile, I'm bald, right? Doesn't make sense sometimes. So you can ask them for, for their opinion, but keep in mind their incentive is to sell the fucking site. So you may not be getting a straight answer. And, you know, Kudos to the the companies. Uh, I, I don't have anything against them, but just understand the incentives of the people that you're working with and the other stakeholders, and that'll help you understand what's going on. Read the book uh, Freakonomics. It helps you understand. There's a great analogy. I think it's early on in the book with um, real estate agents and what it's like to work with real estate agents. Not a fan of them either. Okay, let's move on. That turned uh, that turned a little dark there. But the other piece, another huge piece, you should look at this probably early on. This is way back up at the beginning, but I forgot to mention it, is the actual content. So look at the content. Make your own assessment of the quality. You can be a little bit more... Um, 
say metric focused and, and more uh, objective and look at the actual grammar. You can look using a tool like Grammarly or something like that, where you can you know see if there's any major issues, misspelled words, poor grammar in general, or anything related to that. Further, you can just make this objective assessment where you read it and you think this is good or this is bad. This is thorough or this seems like it was written by an AI tool and it doesn't make any sense. So just the the quality of the content is so important these days, but you know that's something that you'll look at before you even take a look at the analytics or other data or the Wayback Machine. You would read the content and have a feeling and an understanding whether the content is good or bad. Okay, moving on, another couple things to think about. Of course, the revenue and expenses. So we did talk about verifying the revenue, but dig into the expenses as well. Make sure you understand how much it costs to run the site. Many sites are going to have very low expenses and very high margins because typically it doesn't take too much to run a lot of these sites. However, there could be some ongoing cost, so it's worth it to check out. Maybe there's some tools that are associated with it. Maybe there's a social media manager or other virtual assistants that are helping out some way. So make sure you understand that. If there's any like ongoing work aside from the publishing of content, whether it's ongoing link building and outreach, whether it's sharing on social media, make sure you understand what work is being done, and if there's any cost associated with that work. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't be afraid to say, you know, just go through your list. Is there any, you know, Pinterest work going on? Is there any Twitter work going on? Ask anything that you want. You know, now's the time. You don't want to find out later because you were scared to ask. There might be emails that are sent out. There might be an email list. So, you know, a social media account, an email list, those would be, you know, other assets. Maybe there's a digital product as well. So those are other assets to consider along the way. And it potentially could add a little bit of value to the site. It also can add a little bit more work. If you do have an email list, you may have to write an email per week or per month or whatever. So that could be a cost. And maybe you write that email, but maybe you hire someone to do it, or maybe there's already someone working on it. So just understand what's going on and don't be afraid to ask questions. As we move on to some of the other things that kind of add value and maybe things that you should look for, diverse revenue sources, that's a good thing, like a multi-profit site. If you're getting revenue from Amazon and then you have maybe like Ezoic with the display ads and maybe you have some direct deals with companies, maybe there's another affiliate offering in the form of online courses or some other digital products and you're earning from a few different sources, that's great. That is kind of a hedge against any issues in any one of the monetization sources. Similarly, if traffic is coming from different places, that's great too. It is not super common, but certain websites will have 
say like a third of their traffic coming from Pinterest or something. So typically if that, you know, if that's the case, if there's a lot of traffic coming from a source that is not Google, typically it's going to be from a social media platform. And typically there's going to be some cost of the work for that other traffic. So it's great to have the multiple traffic sources, but often it comes at a cost, which I mean, could be, you know, a great cost to have, especially if there's a, a good ROI for that cost. Another thing, like I mentioned, if you have an email list that does add value, that can help build trust. It can help sell more products, especially if they are maybe a product that's a higher ticket item that has a longer sales cycle and maybe takes a couple emails to close the deal. And finally, stable traffic that you can see historically. That's wonderful if you know that you can sort of count on the traffic because for the last four years, traffic has been relatively stable or very few ups and downs. Now that said, it's not uncommon, especially depending on the industry, to see some ups and downs where if you look at a graph, you're like, oh man, this is quite a roller coaster. That, that could be okay. You know, that, that could happen to any site. But if you do see that in the history, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that the site's terrible. It just means, well, maybe that's going to happen again. There can be some ups and downs. Now, as far as the transition and dealing with actually selling the site, if you don't know who you're dealing with, and maybe even if you do, it's a really good idea to use an escrow service. I think escrow.com is pretty common. I think it's also common to just split the cost and you cover half and then the seller covers half. If you happen to trust the person, and in fact, I was going to say I've sold a couple websites and they have been direct deals. The people trust me. We did not use escrow. They just wired the money directly to me and it worked out fine. And part of it is because I, you know, I have a podcast like this. So people tend to trust me and, you know, generally uh, it would be insane for me to like compromise my, my, uh, my name by doing something uh, unethical. So generally though, escrow.com, pretty standard, easy to use, very quick to sign up and, and get rolling with it. One thing that you should ask about and understand is support during the sales and transition and migration process. So you may need help. You're going to have questions and it should be very clear who's handling what when I've sold sites in the past, because I have a technical background, I've sort of been the point person for the migration and I can you know, help out when it's moving, to, the website's moving to a new host. I can help out with changing um, tracking IDs and other pieces of the transition. But you should spell that out. You should understand who's doing what. If you want to do it, if you want to have a third party come in that you're hiring to do it and split the cost, but it's, it's some piece that you have to figure out and know who's doing what and what time frame. It's a little mini project here. So you need to know what work's happening, who's doing it, and when it's going to be done. You need to understand the dependencies, what order things need to happen. And that way you have a very clear picture. Think it all through 
before you start the transition. Don't try to do it on the fly. Get out a piece of paper, map it out, and understand who's doing what and when and how. You might run into a couple hiccups, so that's why it's good to go through this ahead of time so you understand what's happening. You probably should have uh, some time, some actual time set aside for the transition. When I sold a site recently, I think I allotted like two hours or so for like migration and transition and questions. And I don't think we use more than an hour and a half or so, but I was like, I'm here to help. We can do, we can talk about whatever you want. You got two hours here. If we finish early, you know, you can read me your grocery list. I don't care. You got two hours. We didn't do that, but the time was allotted in case questions did arise. Probably the domain will be held as the very last piece. And the reason why is, uh, this is my understanding, when you have the domain and the domain is still in your name at the registrar, you can always set the name servers, the domain name servers to another hosting company. So the domain is the very last piece there. And typically, you know, once you you know, migrate the site and the new owner has their, say, Google Analytics on there and they have their revenue sources and they're, they're verifying. Usually there's a verification period somewhere between like five and seven days is pretty common. You can set it to whatever you want, but I would say five to seven is kind of a sweet spot where someone can get enough data. They can see weekend traffic. They can see, um, you know, any other like, uh, transition sort of hiccups that um, hopefully those will happen really quick. Um, typically, it's just like the day of transition where traffic sort of picks up where the other one left off. But the, the point is there's a period of inspection. There's a period that the new owner can validate and accept the website. They're happy with the traffic. They see the revenue coming in and then they would hop over to escrow. The new owner would go to escrow and say, um, yeah, I'm good with what I purchased here. And then the funds are released from escrow. So the escrow, you know, it protects all, all parties and, you know, gives everybody um, some, well, just some security. So I think that's generally, that's generally what's going on. And as far as the red flags, I think as you go through some of the due diligence that I covered, you'll have a a pretty good idea. You'll feel a lot more confident that the history of the site looks good, the traffic should be stable, and you don't see anything weird out there. That said, you can always hire someone to have a look and see if they see anything. There are companies out there that do due diligence for you. I can't remember any of their names, but they're out there. And they will go through and do the analysis for you. They'll go a little deeper. And depending on the price of the site, it may be a no-brainer to pay. I don't know how much they charge, but well, I'll just make it up. Let's say they charge $500 to spend you know, five hours analyzing the site and then giving you a report on the due diligence. Well, if you're looking at a site that costs you know, $150,000, well, 
well, yeah, paying $500 to not throw money into a uh, you know flaming barrel, that's a pretty good idea. I mean, it's it makes sense. And if if you get to the point where you're about to buy it and you want to have a third party that spends their time reviewing sites for any issues and due diligence, it makes sense to allot some money to that review and to pay the professionals to check that. I don't do that service specifically. I have been hired a couple times to just review a site, but I always make it clear I'm not in the business of due diligence. I haven't purchased a lot of sites, but I can do an analysis and let you know if I've seen anything unusual and talk through some of the pros and cons. Really, I mean, all the shit we just talked about just now. But there are companies that do it all the time. They literally only do due diligence and often for you know some of these bigger websites, some of these bigger deals you see out there. So I think that's it. If you have any tips for purchasing websites, you can send them to me at feedback at doug.show, feedback at doug.show, and probably I, w- I will share them on an upcoming mailbag episode, which um, I think we're due for before too long here. So do send in your questions, or if you do have tips for buying a website and what to look out for, let me know. Thanks for listening. I appreciate it. And if you have a second, share this episode with someone you think will enjoy it. And if you have another minute and you like listening to me talk, you could check out Mile High Five. It's my other podcast on financial independence, retiring early, personal finance. And you know what? We talk a lot about lifestyle stuff too. On uh, the Friday episodes, we just typically we're covering like a question and we try to get through it in like 15 or 20 minutes or so. There's always a little uh, extra banter in there, but those are quick kind of fun episodes, not necessarily related to personal finance directly. Sometimes they are, you know, purely health or fitness related or random topics that my co-host Carl and I just want to talk about. So thanks a lot. We'll catch you on the next episode. And don't forget, Multi-Profit Site is coming out next week, opening for enrollment just for a week, and then I'll close it back down. And then we'll, um, you know, we'll open it up later on in the year. So if you're listening to this way in the future, it will open back up. But I do like to just open it and close it. Hopefully the timing works out well for you. And let's see, what episode do we have next? Oh, we got a cool, very cool interview with Aisha. She has a travel site that has grown very quickly. And she has a big Instagram following too. So pretty cool. And yeah, that is coming out next week. And then another one, oh, the other episode next week is with Lauren Hunter. And she sold a, I'll give it a little bit of a teaser. She sold a technology site for about 300K, a little under 300K. So super cool. Both of those interviews were fantastic. So keep an ear open for those next week and have a great day out there.